I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and this is our first holiday episode. My guest exudes the cheer and energy of the season and just happens to spend a good part of her current role supporting poinsettias, one of the most traditional holiday crops. Although we do talk poinsettias, that's not why I asked Fall Flora Plants' Tanya Carvalho to join me this episode. I'm welcoming her to STEM to talk about the retail experience, what garden centers and nurseries and the growers who supply them can do to inspire the shoppers of today and tomorrow. Tanya brings a ton of energy, but more importantly, actionable ideas for offering in-demand products at retail presented in inspirational packages. She shares tips and tricks for exciting customers, bringing communities together, putting on dazzling and effective events, and igniting the senses. We get into some of her favorite WOW varieties, amazing greenhouse events she's attended recently, from glow festivals to PJs and pancakes, and the importance of sharing knowledge and educating, and also we introduce a concept she calls the full circle experience. When I asked Tanya to be on the podcast, I had a feeling it would be a fun episode with plenty of great retail ideas, but I must admit I had no clue that her background includes a stint at Procter & Gamble and how she brought some of those amazing consumer insights to the world of horticulture. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm pretty sure you will too. Definitely share this one widely throughout your organization and encourage your team to think about Tanya's predictions for the future of horticultural retail. I have a feeling she's on the right track. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four messages lining up to support one key industry topic. How about ways to be 10 times more productive? Okay, here you go. Maybe it's because the holidays are approaching, or maybe because for me it's 2019 planning time, but I'm thinking about productivity, specifically how to be more productive. In my search for tips and best practices, I stumbled across an article on Forbes.com titled 10 Ways to Be 10 Times More Productive at Work. I found the strategies to be relevant, challenging, and really helpful. So for this episode's Connect Four, I'll share, well, four of them. For a link to the entire article, check the show notes. First, set and acknowledge micro-goals. Establish micro-goals for yourself and then celebrate success when you reach them. Continue to be mindful of the small successes all day long, and you'll feel positive and even powerful. If you set a large goal, like designing a comprehensive process of some sort, it's going to seem impossible and insurmountable and it'll probably occupy your thoughts and sit on your to-do list for months. That's not encouraging or empowering. Instead, set a goal like familiarize yourself with the current process inside and out, and then celebrate the accomplishment when you do. Your big project will already be started, and you can set the next micro-goal. Next, go over your day each evening when you relax. That means you need to make it a point to relax. I do my best thinking after the kids are in bed and I'm making school lunches, but that's just me. Maybe you walk the dog or take a shower or jump on the elliptical, whatever you do at night. Take this time to replay meetings, phone calls, conversations, emails, updates, and focus on your feelings during those activities from the minute you woke up to the present minute. Focus on your body too. Which of these things gave you confidence and which ones brought you down? Consider the stressors and causes. The article explains that there are powerful clues in your body's reactions to the events of every day 
and encourages us not to ignore them. Third, kind of along the same lines as number two, instead of crossing off entries on your to-do list like a robot, think about which ones you enjoyed and looked forward to accomplishing and which ones caused only stress. This will help in prioritizing and determining what you want to take on in the future and possibly what to delegate if you can. One tip I keep seeing over and over again is to knock out those tasks you don't enjoy first thing each day so you don't dread them all day long. The final chip in our game of Productivity Connect 4 is to acknowledge yourself for the hard work you do and what you learn during the process. And do this every day. You work hard and you do a lot. No one else knows it as well as you do. This is a big part of mindfulness, and boy, I could do a whole show on the benefits of that. But for now, I'll leave you with these four strategies to increase productivity in the near term. I'm hoping you enjoyed these tips. There are six more in the link in the show notes. But now, let's have some fun, because my friend Tanya is bringing the wow. It's my pleasure to welcome Tanya Carvalho to STEM. Tanya is the territory manager for all of Canada with Ball Floor Plant and Selecta One. She represents and promotes BFP and Selecta coast to coast in Canada, working with professional growers of all shapes and sizes. Tanya is a frequent speaker and presenter at professional grower days and open houses, as well as garden center retail events. She also works with an array of Canadian lawn and garden retailers on program execution in an effort to raise the bar when it comes to relevance and inspiration for today's shoppers. Tanya, welcome to STEM. Thanks, Bill. I'm so excited you asked me to join you today. Cool. So I shared a little bit in your bio about your current role with Ball Floor Plant and Select a One, um, and your product knowledge is obviously top-notch. Uh, but this episode is about the wow factor, and I really do want to focus on retail inspiration. So I guess to kick off this fun and exciting holiday episode that's sure to be action-packed with stories and ideas, can you share a little bit about your background in the industry and why you're so passionate about Garden Center Retail? Well, fresh out of school, um, I started working in the marketing pool at Procter & Gamble, which is a very large pool of people. We were running focus groups and research studies on what drives the consumer in today's retail. In 2004, things all changed when good friends of mine, the Ferragini family, asked me to come and work with them in their garden center at Bradford Greenhouses, which was perfect because right close to home. This was a great fit since I was at their garden center and in their wholesale growing division all the time visiting anyways. And as I grew in that role and working in their garden center and started merchandising for their Christmas season with them, I became interested in more than just the retail side of the business. I just threw myself into that role. So things started to change. And within a year of being there, they asked me to move into the back where I became more involved in working in the retail um, production, figuring out programs for independent garden centers that they supplied and some of the bigger box retailers here in Canada. And yeah, it just took off from there. And I was there for just shy of 13 years. Wow. So that must have been uh, an interesting experience moving from P&G with, you know, sort of big, uh, high profile product marketing to Bradford Greenhouses. What were a couple of the uh, 
I guess, skills that transitioned um, from one to the other. That's pretty cool. I didn't, uh, I think that's interesting. You came straight from P&G into horticulture. <laughs> the biggest thing is that kind of combined in those two roles was learning to listen to the consumer. Um, you, I really have a passion for, for spending time and listening to the customers, whether they're buying a simple flat when it's at a greenhouse or whether they're buying a box of Tide or whether, so it didn't matter which role I was in. It was all about listening to the consumer and what they were wanting, what they were looking for. Oh, that's great. And I think we can all probably do a better job of listening or even asking the right questions. So I guess garden centers of all shapes and sizes have tons of opportunity. I think we, we can agree on that, um, especially this day and age with the entertainment factor of retail. So considering this current movement toward retail experiences, can you tell me some of the more exciting things you've seen at garden centers and greenhouses recently? I'm going to go ahead and just leave this wide open because I know you're well-traveled and you see a lot of neat stuff when you're out there on the road. Well, I do, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be invited to a lot of the, uh, the events that these garden centers are hosting. So one of the biggest events happening up here in Canada this year is called GLOW, and GLOW is a indoor Christmas light festival and marketplace, and two nurseries, greenhouses here are, are hosting this event this year, Darvonda Nurseries out in Langley, BC, and Bradford Greenhouses here in Bradford, Ontario. Um, I attended at Darvonda's event last year. They were the first ones to bring GLOW to Canada, and again, I went this year, and uh, quite an event, quite extravagant. They have over 100,000 people in attendance, um, about a, plus 1,000 people per evening, um, Saturdays and Sundays obviously being larger crowds. They have an indoor market. It's showcasing poinsettias. It's showcasing Christmas combinations. They've got fresh greens. And then, of course, just crazy light structures. This year's theme is Christmas around the world. So there's the Taj Mahal. There's the Eiffel Tower. It's, it's quite something to see. So those are on a larger scale, obviously, at um, substantial size garden centers and growers. And then you get down into the smaller IGCs and, and smaller growers, and there's events happening about fresh green inserts and how to make your own um, customized poinsettia and mixed planter seminars taking place, social media contests. Um, one, one greenhouse I went to, they had a planting party. So there was champagne and hors d'oeuvres and kind of like a ladies' night event. Um, one one um, small greenhouse grower retailer in uh, BC had a PJs and pancakes event. So it was, uh, I think it was a Saturday morning. Um, everyone came in their pajamas. There was breakfast. And then they opened up the store and had um, events taking place so that they kind of had the edge on the shopping. So it wasn't busy yet. They got in there at 7.30 and they got to shop and have breakfast all in the comfort of their own pajamas. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. That's great. I mean, everything from 100,000-person events at yeah. some of the biggest uh, greenhouses in Canada down to PJs and pancakes. I think that both of those sound like a lot of fun. And certainly, um, you know, at some of the smaller scale events that you talked about are very doable I think that the the large scale light shows probably take a, a little bit of um, you know more to pull that off. Um, I guess thinking along those lines, do you have any suggestions or ideas for how garden center retailers can execute some of these holiday concepts um, that you've talked about and maybe 
you know, the holidays is one time of year that it's great to get people in the store and hopefully shopping. Um, but also the, the spring season obviously is, you know, it's kind of our core season. So mm -hmm. do you have any ideas about how to, I guess, execute these events or tips or tricks that you've picked up along the way? One that I've seen um, that kind of spans across all the seasons, the spring, fall, uh, summer, and of course the Christmas season is a ladies night event or an event geared to girlfriends and cocktails. So it could be a small intimate group. Um, I've seen some workplaces that have put together, you know, a 15 person, they rent out the space. Um, so of course it's open to shopping. There's some vendors there, some suppliers, keynote speakers. I've been asked to speak at some of these events before. I've put together uh, Christmas fresh greens at these events before, and then they're auctioned off for a local charity, but it's a much smaller scale, much more intimate. But at the end of the day, the word of mouth that gets out from that small intimate environment is, is huge. And then it just grows from there. So the ladies night event or hosting a small event like that is one that can be pulled across all the seasons. Another one that I've seen done multiple seasons is plant swaps. So plant swaps are really taking off. Um, I see it a lot up here in Canada and I've also seen it in the US and it could be a spring plant swap. It could be a foliage indoor tropical plant swap. You can have, I've seen as many as up to 50 people attend these plus, 50 people plus, and down to as small as 20 people. So very manageable event as well. What is a plant swap, I guess? What's what's behind that? So the, the thought process in that is if you've got, um, let's say for spring, I go to the garden center, my eyes are bigger than my stomach idea. I buy up everything I can, I get home and I end up with plenty of material left to still make planters up or, or plant in the garden. So a garden center would host this plant swap and it could be in the back of their garden center. These people come in, I might have 10 plants to contribute. I would then in turn get say 10 popsicle sticks. So all the plants that are contributed are lined up and you have your popsicle stick, and let's say there's one big showy palm or a big Boston fern I want. I could take all 10 of my popsicle sticks with my name on them and put them in the cup for that Boston fern. Well, at the end of the day, whoever's got the most popsicle sticks for each plant is awarded that plant. So oh, it's wow. really, there's no charge to the, to the garden center to host this. It's just offering the venue, but that brings that shopper back in, and maybe they'll pick up these four or five extra plants and they'll buy a planter and a bag of soil. And so it's, you're at, you're, you're offering the venue at no real cost. And it also kind of brings everybody together, which gets, you know, almost the same concept as a, as the ladies night where it's something you can do fun with your friends. Yeah. It's kind of engaging. It creates a community. Um, yeah. And then three other things that, that you said that really jumped out at me was partnering with other vendors. So yeah. I think probably finding vendors in your local area and then maybe having speakers or tying it to charities. So yeah, doing an auction, having a, let's say you have a, a grower supplier. So lots of times I would attend these ladies nights events when I was at Bradford greenhouses and I would go and we would do a, um, some kind of a, you know, discounted volume or something for say it's hanging baskets. But while I'm there, People, I'm available to ask questions. How would I grow? Where would I plant this geranium? What can I put in the shade? So having someone on staff that can answer those questions is key during those events. Okay, so it's also partnering with your vendors and sort of leveraging yeah. their expertise too. Absolutely. And 
I know, you know, plenty of plenty of greenhouse grower producers out there who would be, you know, happy to send someone to a garden center and to answer questions and sort of be there on hand. Absolutely. And even some of the, you know, even some of the other vendors and larger companies that you work with probably have local reps that, that would be available. I think part of the thing is you just got to ask and see, see what they you say. Do, and it, it takes off because once word of mouth hits, whether it be from the vendor supplier side or on the host side, people start talking and they want to be involved in this. So then it ends up being, you've got a waiting list of people that want to jump on board and support it because at the end of the day, we all just want to keep people talking about our industry and buying and shopping, right? It's, it doesn't matter who's there and who's not. It's getting everybody out there and getting them talking and shopping. That's return buyers. <laughs> Absolutely. And it would, it would be great to have a waiting list because then you can kind of keep it fresh from year to yeah. year and, uh, you know, certainly get three to five years of, you know, life out of one of these events. So you talked a little bit, um, maybe from your past at Procter and Gamble, but thinking a lot about consumer reactions and how consumers, um, you know, what drives these purchase decisions. And I think some of these retail events and experiences is really all about customer satisfaction and creating this wow factor that I'm going to keep referencing. So can you talk or characterize the feelings or response from shoppers and visitors who attend these events? Because I know that you stop and talk to them and that you've also, you know, gone with friends that are not a part of the industry and probably have uh, uh, looked at or watched their reaction when they're in these garden centers and greenhouses during events. Oh, the excitement on their faces. And it, like you said, it could be a great big glow event where, I'm I'm there and I'm I've got the same expression on my face as the five-year-old next to me does. It's you get excited, you get excited about Christmas, you get excited about the greenhouse industry because they're the ones hosting it. It it that stays in your mind. Um, everybody's shopping, they're eating, there's music playing. It's bringing the community together. And then when you can incorporate something at the garden center that brings the whole family there, that's the key. That's, you know, how often do we have that hour of free time to go out without the kids and the whole family? You don't. So having something to distract and keep the kids entertained while we're shopping, it's awesome. So reaction, seeing the adults, they're just, the cameras were out constantly. My camera was out constantly. I'm talking to children while I'm on, you know, these lit up swings, or if I'm speaking at a holiday ladies event, I'm talking to daughters and it's just, it's getting everybody involved. and. I think having having the camera out is something we all need to be conscious of these days because obviously your social media opportunities, selfies, family photos. I mean, I, I, I've seen it in action. I know that, you know, if you encourage and create that sort of environment, that is going to naturally happen in this day and age. I mean, people's phones are in their hands. And I, I've seen your pictures from the Glow event and I mean, it really is stunning and certainly uh, Instagrammable and social media worthy. Well, you see these small, uh, even the smaller garden centers we were talking about, you know, it doesn't have to be a glow. But if you're hosting an event and you set up a selfie station and you have 100 people, whether it's teenagers or ladies on a ladies night and they're taking a selfie in the selfie station and hashtagging your business, what drives attention on social media? Hashtags. So it's it's a win-win right having having social media involved for sure absolutely and you know i would say if you're going to do one of these events establish a hashtag and tell people about it you know yeah. and probably include your company name in it to gain a little bit of extra recognition for sure so 
let's get down to some business here because I know that we are going to, we're talking about plants. It's a podcast for professional growers, but I still want to continue to uh, have, have a fun discussion. So let's talk a little bit about fun plants. You're a product expert. You work with hundreds of growers across Canada. What are you seeing out there when it comes to, I guess, products that inspire shoppers, products that are going to create some of this wow factor at retail? Well, I'm seeing a lot more of the growers and the independent garden centers working together. So it used to all be about, okay, what can we execute on the growing side to turn quickly, get it out the door, right? We don't have to think about it anymore. Now it's what works at the grower, what works at the independent garden center, what's going to work for the end consumer. We have, we're taking more and more consideration in all three of those. Um, during the holiday season, I'm seeing more and more of an upgraded look, the offerings, especially at the independent garden centers. We want to attract that niche of customer that's they've got the knowledge, they've got the dollars to spend. We've got to give them, like you said, a factor. Being a classic, uh, I'm seeing a breakaway from that classic golden red quick cover, get it out the door, cheap answer. They're 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 investing more, they're toning it down a little, they're looking for materials to cover poinsettias or whether it be a tropical assortment for Christmas that's going to blend with their home that they can keep that pot cover or, or planter and reuse it, just upscaling the look. Not to, it's not just a simple six inch poinsettia on your dining room table anymore. It's looking for the wow. Um, seeing a lot more poinsettia trees, whether they be a larger uh, 10 inch pot, three foot tree, two and a half foot tree to a six inch standard. So just a little bit different of a look on a poinsettia. Um, it's like an upgrade, right? The IGCs, we're looking for an upgrade. We don't want a simple poinsettia sitting on the table. It's true. And the growers you're working with, they're willing to put that extra cost into the, you know, the, the cost, I guess, and, and they're able to capture that at their wholesale pricing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've seen a lot. I've seen tree form poinsettias, but mostly where I see them is at supermarkets. So I'm kind of happy to hear that they're that they're kind of moving outside of that that retail formatted into garden centers because I do think it's something unique when you look at this trend of millennials and their house plants. A tree form poinsettia is super cool and different, and I mean I've got to believe that that's going to catch some attention. So that that's kind of cool. Well, in the millennials, I mean, we know that all their tabletop spaces are filled with foliage and houseplants. So we need something they can put on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, very true. Or something that's tall enough that their yeah. houseplants can go underneath it. So that's the um, case at my house anyway. So <laughs> what about in the spring? What have you seen in spring at garden centers that, that you would consider inspirational? Um, you know, something that's really catching attention, whether that's a product or a package or you know, what, what jumps out of you that you've seen in the last year or two? In the last year or two, definitely foliage. Um, the bigger, the better. They, I'm seeing a lot more high-end tropicals used as centerpieces in these great big planters, whether they be birds of paradise, great big palms, uh, mandevillas, um, climbing trellises with either um, an ipomia or a mandevilla or a dip, something that's going to give a wow factor over and above a Dracaena spike, which you would typically see in a box retailer. Okay, really? and then they're, then they're accenting that or complementing that with some other traditional annuals, things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So you're getting that big height, 
in the center and then you're you're bringing it down with some geraniums or some crotons a smaller tropical and then going into your spillers so bigger is better they're they've got the money to spend they're looking for an investment piece they want their porch to look better than the neighbor's porch and they're willing to spend that money and i've seen it more and more i see it in in um townhouse communities right up to million dollar home communities it's people are spending money on the porch because the yards are getting smaller. So the bigger the planter and the showier that planter, the better. That's true. And you can usually reach your porch with the hose and it makes it yeah. easier to keep them alive. Um, I certainly know that's the case at my house. So um, I guess staying with this product quality and inspiration, you talked a little bit about what certainly with holiday crops, what growers are doing to upscale that package or, or send a product to retail that, that fits in with what those retailers are trying to sell and the image that their store is trying to portray. Do you have any tips or best practices for supplying these kind of products that are in demand at retail? I mean, from your experience working with growers? Well, it's, it's definitely about setting the bar a little higher and being innovative and creative. Um, the IGCs, like I said, they're drawing an educated consumer who's looking for the wow. So when I'm talking to growers, I'm telling, you know, don't shy away from investing a little bit more into your large containers and baskets, whether that be Christmas, holiday season, or spring. I mean, I've got two great big fresh greens baskets hanging out in front of my house, done up in beautiful wicker cones. Um, put that higher priced item out there to them, spend that little bit more money, buy the really strong, great genetics, proven and tested for consumer luck. Like we want the consumer to succeed. So, so spend the money, get, get the best genetics out there. The other thing I'm seeing a lot of up here in is extending our seasons. So, you know, when, when I think in Canada of our, of our seasons, we've got spring, which is relatively short. We could have snow in May. We've got summer, we've got a mum crop, and then it's poinsettias. We're, we're trying to find ways to just keep that shopper in the garden center, keep them shopping. And we see a lot more summer sizzler programs happening up here. So capturing those sales from June 15th to August 15th, when we then transition into mums. So not necessarily that $80 planter anymore. We're looking at marketing more that $20 price point, 15 to $20 price point in a single item. And it could be a 12 inch pot, but it's gonna be something with a little bit of oomph, a little bit of stability, like a nice big uh, mystic salvia, um, a nice coleus with bold color. So if the consumer is is you know having not so much luck with what they've got and it's starting to die off on them at the end of June, July, they can replace it for $15, $20. That'll get them right through to months. So I see a lot of the independent garden centers looking for that summer sizzler, heat of the moment kind of sale. I, yeah, I completely agree. And I think garden centers are also looking to increase foot traffic because when I look at the data, um, and this is US and Canadian data, the, the, the foot traffic of number of people going into the garden centers multiple times throughout the year is flat or even down. Even if sales are going up, sometimes that foot traction or foot or transaction number is going down. So I think having products throughout the year um, you make some really good points with the pricing because when you're going to replace something, you don't want to spend as much as you paid initially. And, um, you know, having that dialed down price point in the, the shoulder seasons, I think, is a really, really good advice. Um, you know, you talked about making sure that you have products in early spring, spring, summer, 
summer replacements, then moving into mums and, and poinsettias, um, you re really are creating additional opportunities throughout the year. So um, I think, I think yeah, the you key are thing too is that, that, that summer sizzler idea is that we aren't offering what we just offered. I, you know, I don't want to buy another Calibrecoa basket and I don't want to buy another geranium basket. I want to buy something with oomph and pizzazz. Maybe it's a nice established sunflower or a rutabecchia. Could be a lavender, but just something, something that's going to take that heat of the summer and something that I didn't purchase six weeks ago at nineteen nine or you know at twenty four ninety nine, and you're now offering it to me at fifteen. It's, it's got to be something different. Which gets back to that inspiration and really wowing, wowing customers. And you also mentioned consumer success. We definitely always need to keep that in mind because we want it to perform for them so that they come back again and, and buy it 100%. again in the future. So how about some specific products? You shared a couple with the Mystic Salvias and, you know, these these big um, uh, sunshade coleus. But can you share a couple of other, uh, you know, true kind of retail rock stars that grab attention, but also um, ones that sell through? Um, I know you've got plant stories. <laughs> yes, I do have plant stories. Um, the biggest thing I'm seeing up here with Impact uh, past year and a half to two years is definitely what you and I spent a lot of time talking about at Cast, and that was Boom Without the Bloom. Uh, Boston Ferns, the bigger the basket, the better. Um, you know, it started off as a 9, 10-inch basket. We're now seeing the norm being a 13 to 16-inch Boston Fern basket. Nobody's batting an eyelash paying whatever that, that garden center is charging. The only thing with the Boston Ferns, and, and what I think that some of the consumers aren't educated on, is that it's a shade item. So whether they have a covered porch or not, they're going home, they're putting it at the front of their house and they're only having this success if it's a shaded spot. So that's where I think that sunshade coleus, I'd really, I'm really going to be talking a lot about that this spring when I'm out visiting garden centers is, is utilizing that as your foliage boom without the bloom and using a coleus in these baskets. Cause there are some garden centers um, that we have up here that I've seen execute uh, coleus combos with the trailers and some vibrant reds and yellows and greens. These things are showpieces, absolutely stunning. And they have customers, you know, signed up in January to book their baskets. They're, they're beautiful. And you're so, right. You've got multiple colors, textures, yeah. forms, habits of coleus. I think that's a, that's a really good, good yeah. suggestion. So go really big on coleus, see. listeners. Go big on foliage, foliage, foliage. <laughs> That so, is, that's definitely what I'm seeing. The other one that I'm, I've really seen a boom in, and, and you and I have talked about this as well, is going to be the pollinator plants. Of course, that is not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, I think the pollinator plants goes back to talking earlier with you about the uh, the family concept. You get the kids in the garden center; they want to plant a planter for mom on Mum's Day. That's going to attract bumblebees and the humming hummingbirds and butterflies. So pollinator plants, pollinator plants. The other thing would be plants that ignite your senses. I, I know that when I walk through a garden center, if I see basil, what's the first thing I do? I run my hand over it. If I see yeah. lavender, I'm touching it. And things that the consumer can touch and feel and smell, that's a that's a win-win. And I see a lot of that in the shopping carts as I'm going through the garden centers as well. Cool. Those are good trends. I think that those extend across all of North America. Um, yeah. And I, I honestly believe we're only at the beginning of those. I don't think that, that 
you know, yes, we've seen him for the last couple of years, but we're going to see him for the next three to five years as well. And probably move, moving forward because the genetics are getting better. Do you, I guess you work for breeding companies. Do you see the breeding, um, being developed to meet consumer needs and consumer trends more now than ever before? Definitely. The de the focus is definitely on that consumer and where the trends are going. We want to make sure that we're ahead of the step and, and working towards ahead of what they're going to be asking us for, right? We don't see this pollinator trend going anywhere. Um, I was walking the uh, fall gardens the day before uh, customer day back in June. And you probably saw it on my social media feed. I just took pictures of bees everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was incredible to see. And it's not that scenario. When I was a kid, we'd see a bee and we'd run screaming. You, you don't see that. Everybody now is like, oh, look, a bee. Let me get out my phone. <laughs> so yep. everyone's like, look, the bees are alive. So are the breeders working towards keeping the consumers in the garden center? Absolutely. Getting ahead of the trends? Absolutely. That's funny. You reminded me, uh, it was last year I was taking the kids to the bus stop in the morning and they walked past a butterfly bush in the front garden. There was a bee and a butterfly on the same bloom. They're like, dad, take a picture. Dad, take a picture. It's like the first <laughs> thing you want to do. It's like, these are real living creatures. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. I, I think of all ages, we love that stuff. No, 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 not <laughs> at all. Um, that's awesome. So I guess you talked a little bit about what's coming in the future. Um, uh, in terms of the breeding and looking, trying to stay one step ahead of the game. But I guess when you look into Tanya's garden center, crystal ball, which I know you have, what <laughs> will lawn and garden retail look like in 10 years? I mean, are we going to see more of the same? I know we're seeing an evolution, but where do you think we're heading? And, and what are some of the steps that the garden centers that you interact with are taking to get there? I think that we're going to see a more demanding consumer in the garden centers. Everything that you could possibly want is available at your fingertips, including ordering plants from home, from your computer, and having them delivered. You don't even have to leave the house anymore. You've got sites like the Sill, GeoFleur, and Bloomscape that deliver the plant materials you just bought within days to your front door. So we need to, we need to have that consumer walk into the garden center and have a full circle experience. We want the wow factor. They want knowledgeable staff on hand to help with the choices because that's the one thing they don't have sitting in front of their computer. I can walk in and have a conversation with somebody in a garden center and get the answers, or I can spend a half an hour to do two hours on Google trying to figure out how to care for this plant. We need to offer them something that they aren't getting from simply ordering the plants online. I think that having the staff on hand with plant-based knowledge and insight is going to be the key in the future because it's, it's what we can give them that they can't get sitting on their couch, right? Customers who go home with a plant and have no idea how to care for it, they're not gonna be successful and they're not gonna come shop and purchase that plant again. We want them to feel like they're coming home to a comfort area where they can talk openly about their questions, whether they're a green thumb or a brown thumb. We've gotta give them somebody who can interact with them on the same level at an up, you know, on, a, on an educated level to give them what they need. So that's where I think. I think that's where I'm seeing a little bit of lacking right now. Maybe sometimes in a box store or a garden center, I've got a cashier. I go up with my, you know, my tray of plants. I have no idea what I've just bought. And I have a little pixie tag that I have to put on my reading glasses to figure out, okay, 16 to 20 centimeters, what? You know, it's it's better to have someone there with the knowledge and you end up gaining the trust 
you end up gaining a friendship, you end up gaining a return customer. I like that, you, the, the term you used, a full circle experience. And it, and it really is that because even when you get home, you want to you want to know that if you need to pick up the phone or shoot a you know direct message to that garden center, that they're going to get back to you and, and give you some information. Um, yeah, I think that that's really, really important and something that, you know, when you ask, when you ask shoppers, why do you shop at a garden center? They usually say good quality, a whole bunch of different kinds of products and knowledgeable. Customer yeah. Customer service, customer service and knowledgeable staff. There's, there's not, you know, I can, I had a planting party, for example, at my house this year. So I had visited a whole bunch of growers where I had product grown out for me, brought it all home in a few different truckloads. And I had everything out on the front lawn. I texted three or four girlfriends and said, okay, sent a picture of my front lawn. I think I had 42 planters, all different sizes, all this plant material. And I lined up four bottles of wine. And I texted my girlfriends and I said, planting party at my house, one hour. I've got the drinks. Everyone showed up. So it was a Friday evening. It's beautiful. People are out walking their dogs. They're stopping. Are you selling these? <laughs> Actually, they're all for me. <laughs> but you know, it people stopped and started having conversation. Oh my gosh, what's that plant? I love your color combination. I had a few neighbors that asked me to write down what was in my planter because they wanted to duplicate it. So knowledge is key. Knowledge is power. And passing on this knowledge, it makes them feel empowered. And now they're going to go out and do it and they're going to have success. I've had people stop by and take pictures while I was having this planting party with my girlfriends. It was just so much fun. Friday night, right? Everyone's out in your neighborhood and walking their dogs. I had kids on the kids playing in the dirt. It was it was awesome. That's great. And you know, I, I say it all the time. I'm gonna say it again. We are lucky to work with a beautiful product that makes everybody happy. Um, 100%. we need to continue to leverage that. You also made the point that we're gonna be dealing with a more demanding consumer. Um, yeah, I mean, because like you said, online buying is easy. And you really do have a high expectation, um, you know, in quickness of uh, quickness and availability. Um, but I think that there is so much that, we, that that stores can do to, you know, not not necessarily overcome what what the online retailers are doing, but to just offer a different and better experience. So um, I appreciate yeah. you talking about that, and that is something everyone needs to be aware of: is that consumers are getting more demanding. We can't sit back. Everyone's got to step up their game. Um, part of that is creating a higher quality product, a better package, some of these other things that we've been talking about. So um, I do think that that statement about the more demanding consumer does wrap a lot of this up and give us a challenge for the future. Um, so I guess we need to start, uh, you know, uh, getting to the end of this. I love this discussion. I could talk with you all day, but I have two final questions. We'll make these fun. What is your favorite holiday plant and why? And second question is, if you had a retail garden center, what's one event that you would put on every year? Okay, my favorite holiday plant has got to be the classic true rich colored red poinsettia. Um, I do, you know, jazz mine up a little bit. I like to mix it up with uh, tropicals and succulents and do a nice big planter as opposed to just a straight poinsettia, of course. Um, and I, it's easy for me to do that because in my office here alone today, where I'm sitting talking to you, I have over 12 
plants just in my office. <laughs> so I can just pull from those. <laughs> All right, I'm counting. I'm counting. You got, you got me beat. I have six and uh, poinsettia. So you got me beat. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess my favorite event, and I think it's because I've been able to attend them as a uh, vendor supplier and as a guest, is the ladies' night. It's it's always great energy, lots of laughs, gets the whole community involved. I've been able to, I decorated a 12-foot tree at an event in Sault Ste. Marie. Um, it actually came up on my Facebook memory the other day because <laughs> I went up, I flew up to take part in this ladies' event and I uh, decorated a 12-foot tree and we auctioned it off and we actually raised $2,000 for a local children's charity. So I love the ladies' night events. Um, the biggest one I've attended had over a thousand people in line before the doors opened. It's it really gets a community talking and it really drives traffic into your garden center. So if I could ever host one myself, that's what I would do. I would host a ladies event. That's cool. And you can probably tweak the themes from year to year to keep it fresh and even change and seasons. Different times of year. Exactly. So I've attended them in May, the week before Mother's Day. Um, I've been a part of them at Christmas. I've done them in fall. Um, I've been a guest uh, guest speaker at one in the spring where I was out in the garden center. Um, I did another one where I was in Kingston here in Ontario and I people came in and I donated my time and helped them plant up their planters, um, landscape ideas. It's just, I love being involved in them. They're a lot of fun. That's cool. And I would suspect for listeners, if you poke around online, you'll find, you know, even Pinterest or Instagram, you're going to find pictures and ideas from uh, ladies night events at garden centers, because, you know, just from attending seminars and sessions about events, I know that there are plenty of garden centers that have given this a try and have um, sort of some tips and best practices for you. So uh, spend some time online, look at pictures, see what other garden centers are doing and uh, consider it could be, could be a really good idea for you um, even in this, this coming, coming season. So Tanya, thank you so much for being my guest on STEM this first holiday episode, I'm calling it. Um, I know that that you have a ton more ideas, and especially if you're a, a greenhouse grower um, you in Canada, you should probably talk to Tanya about how to step up your game and really supply um, even better product um, to your wholesale customers. So if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you to continue the conversation about producing amazing crops for retail or even discuss ideas for their garden center, um, you know, using some of these amazing varieties from Ball Flora Plant and Selecta and others, tropical foliage for sure. What is the best way to contact you? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me, Bill, would be at tcarvello at ballhort.com. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And check out the show notes for links to the productivity article I referenced in Connect4, links to Ball Flora Plant and Select One information, and the latest Poinsettia catalog. I'm not going to end this episode with a quote. Instead, I'll wrap this up with the warmest holiday wishes from the Ball Seed family to yours. 
Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.